1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking to Don hader Markow, who's one of the editors of Transgender Rights and Politics, Groups, Issue Framing, and Policy Adoption. The book is published from University of Michigan Press. I hope that you really enjoyed this interview that I did with Don. Welcome back to the podcast. As I mentioned, uh, I have the real pleasure to have the editor of Transgender Rights and Politics, Groups, Issue Framing, and Policy Adoption. Uh, with us today, uh, Donald Hader Markell, how are you doing today, Don?
0: Pretty good. How are you?
1: It's a, uh, I'm doing well, and it's um, a nice day in New York and a pleasure to have read your book. Before we get to talking about all of the interesting stuff in it, maybe you could just um, talk a little bit about uh, yourself and also the co-editor on this volume.
0: Sure. Just to introduce Jamie Taylor, who's the was sort of the primary editor on this book. I was sort of a secondary editor editor on this, on this project. Um, Jamie's an associate professor of political science and public administration at the University of Toledo. I am um, professor of political science at the University of Kansas. Um, we both have interests in public policy generally, but in LGBT politics um, specifically.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting, um, I think, read for anyone who's interested in you know, sort of the broad ideas of of state policy change and state politics, but also in some of the specific issues related to transgender people and transgender policymaking. Um, I'm always interested in how these edited volumes come together. You sort of alluded to a little bit of uh, Jamie's lead on this, but I wonder if you could talk just a little bit of, about how this came together. Was was this the result of a, a workshop that had been held, or or something else? What, how did you seek out these these different chapter authors?
0: So that's part of it. That the genesis of the idea, and that's part of why I called Jamie the lead editor, is the genesis of the idea came came from her, and she had um, a number of pieces working with a number of different co-authors on this topic, um, and she had. Um, approached University of Michigan about this collection, um, and what uh, what she decided to do was bring in an additional an additional editor at, with some uh, some um, other perspectives. But the primary goal of the project was to produce a volume that was the first of its kind in terms of an empirical perspective on transgender rights policies, and social movement activity um, that really isn't in the marketplace. Basically, what what's out there now tends to be more um, activist oriented and is not empirical social science, which fi- is fine and makes its own contribution to knowledge. Uh, we just wanted to produce something a little bit different from what, what is out there, and even the articles that exist, some of which Jamie has done a few, and a few other um, authors, is really pretty recent um so even on the article side there's not there's not much out there in, in the market at this point
1: yeah and i think the result um uh is 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 novel in that way and just the, the the methods that some of the authors use um really does um i can see how it would call for multiple editors because of how sort of varied uh, some of the approaches are results in something very interesting um you see, at the start of the book you you have a couple of us maps um, related to transgender policies. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you define a policy as transgender or, or what you call trans-inclusive and, and what the, you know, sort of if you give us a snapshot of transgender policy that we can glean from just these first two maps.
0: So the the typical sort of perspective um, on sort of trans policies is the notion, and here I'll just say often use the word trans is just a sort of shortcut rather than transgender. Um, The policies typically are in the vein of um, similar policies first enacted in part to prevent discrimination against African-Americans as well as women, as well as um, ethnic groups. The notion of non-discrimination laws um, that basically ban typically discrimination on the basis of employment, accommodations, and a few other um, things, those kinds of laws um, were first pushed for by the LGBT movement, in particular to protect um, with the language of sexual orientation being included, either amending existing laws or creating new laws for those protections. Um, and then what we have in terms of the transgender community is trying to include language in those anti-discrimination laws that protects um, Individuals on the basis of gender identity. So rather than typically usually using the term transgender, the term um, gender identity is used. And, and for many of these laws, it's been a process of going back to existing laws and amending them. So even if there are protections on the, ba- in, say, um, banning discrimination on the basis of in employment on the basis of sexual orientation, going back to that law and adding um, the language gender identity to those policies. At the local level as well as at the state level
1: and and where where are the the sort of who are the leaders here what which communities, which states stepped forward and and made some of the the first uh, trans inclusive uh, policies, either sort of new policies or as you mentioned, um, making changes in 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 existing policies
0: so it sort of somewhat follows the pattern that we saw for um, laws banning discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation with um coastal states West Coast, and East Coast being some of the first to consider and, and adopt these policies, but also a few states that have a more progressive history in the Midwest, with the exception of Wisconsin, which was the first state to adopt um, a law banning discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation they were they were not one of the early adopters for for including um, gender identity, but certainly on the east coast and And the West Coast and then just a scattering throughout throughout the Midwest. Um, So it really fits the same kind of geographic pattern that that you can observe for the adoption of sexual orientation laws.
1: Now, one of the one of the themes early in the book, and I'm not sure if it was the chapter that you were one of the co-authors of, in addition to the editor, is this competition between groups representing trans individuals and and those representing the LGBT community more broadly. I wonder if you could walk us through a little bit of the history of common cause and conflict between these communities, because it really does seem like one of those pieces of of the a couple of chapters. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of it is the the notion that um, you know even within the the broad LGBT movement, um, there has been a process, I think, that in some ways you can see come to its fruition now with the um, adoption of um, overturning of bans on same-sex marriage that early on um, in the 70s and 80s, a lot of what the LGBT movement had to do was sort of educate the public and educate policymakers about what the concerns of that movement were and that community were. Um, you know, provide evidence, for example, that there is actually discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Um, and that process obviously took some time and, and occurred more rapidly in some states versus others. But then for the trans community as part of this broader movement, it also turned out that um, being the sort of cluster of sexual minorities pushing for a variety of um, new kinds of policies, the trans community had some different priorities than say, just the gay or lesbian community. Um, For example, the anti-discrimination laws um, pushed for by the LGBT movement, those weren't necessarily the same priority for the trans community. They were concerned more with um, allowing, making it easier, for example, to change um, sex identification on government documents versus um, pushing for, Anti-discrimination laws, and within the LGBT movement, the education of the of the broader public, the, the LGBT movement itself needed to be educated about the trans community, what their concerns were, um, what the issues were for that community, and because the trans community is such a small group, um, even within the LGBT. Movement. I think it took more time to educate within the movement and certainly then external to the movement about what the concerns of this community were. And also because it's a small group, they simply didn't have the resources to push their priorities within the broader movement um, as being the most important priorities the movement sh- should pursue. So what you see, for example, in the consideration, say, in a particular state of a, a new anti-discrimination law, that when the the um, legislators, for example, in a state legislature, might balk at the inclusion of the language on gender identity and not be familiar with it and, and what it really would mean to include that language, that the that LGBT groups would withdraw that portion of the of the policy. In, just in pursuit of including the sexual orientation language. So the trans community was sort of left by the wayside. Um, and you see this in national politics as well with many of these issues and not just now being able to sort of come back to these policies and try to include that gender identity language that wasn't included when the laws were first adopted. And, uh,
1: at this point, I think the sort of the well-known LGBT groups are are, are well-known, but much less so for the transgender group. So who are we talking about specifically? Tony announces an interesting chapter sort of to this point about Sort of who the players are, but I wonder if you could sort of briefly mention a, a couple of the, the the groups that have emerged as as the real players, because they're, even even if they are, they're they're still you know relatively small in, in in how many people would know about them. So who are we talking about?
0: Well, in terms of which are the strongest groups or which groups have the most influence, I mean the sort of interesting thing is um, most of the groups are relatively small, um, don't have a lot of resources, and that's partly why. In fact, the trans community has had to rely on sort of existing broader LGBT groups. And part of the effort there has been just to even have the, the language um, of gender identity and the trans community included, say, in the mission statements of groups. So even some traditional groups like um, groups like P- Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays um, didn't have that language in their, in their um in their mission statements, or certainly in their in their titles, groups like the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, which just recently changed its name, it wasn't until the 1990s that many of these groups began to include um, trans-specific language in their in their mission statements, as well as in their um, in in some cases in their names. <laughs>
1: Let's let's sort of take it to now. And and one of the chapters, the chapters by Sellers and and my my colleague, uh, Rod Colvin, talks about this change over time and and sort of what was happening uh, prior to the 2000s and and what happens, what's starting to happen now. What's what's the difference? Where where are we now? What are what are the vanguard issues? Uh, Have there been issues that have been reconciled in in many places? And and um, where are we looking for where the current controversies are?
0: Um, With the the trans community specifically or with the? Yeah, I think with the trans community specifically, I think the priorities still are some of this documentation um, issues with health care issues with um, trans youth in particular, which um, oftentimes has been a a little bit more difficult to um, to to address some of the 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 health and um, security issues for. Trans youth have been some priorities within the trans community. And, I mean, interestingly enough, even as so much progress has been made on the issue of same-sex marriage, for a lot of trans individuals, it's just simply not a priority kind of issue like it is within the, amongst lesbian and gay men that, that, um, that are pushing for that. So I think that coming back to some of those issues now, some of those trans issues and prioritizing those, um, the space is available on the agenda, basically within the broader LGBT movement to pursue some of these issues and be more comfortable with it. I think there's also been, um, as I say about this education within the movement and even external to the movement, there's more knowledge now about what issues are faced by the trans community and what we really mean um, by terms like gender identity. I think that's more broadly understood. Some, so one of the things that we don't we didn't really be, weren't able to include in the book was um public attitudes about transgender rights or knowledge about the trans community um in part because there's not much research or not much available data out there to to know what does the public know what do they understand but there have been a few a few polls conducted and it's pretty clear that at least a majority of the american public now at least thinks that has a sense of what we really mean by terms like transgender or what we're really talking about with terms like gender identity. And I think that's partly a function of the education efforts of the broader LGBT movement, but also um, changes of what we've seen in popular culture and the representation of the LGBT community. There's a lot more familiarity with a lot of the issues, um, and that's partly resulted then in in not only changes in in public knowledge, but also in public attitudes about, about the community.
1: Yeah, as the editor of this volume, one of the editors of this volume, um, is there a chapter in the collection that, that surprised you, um, either in you know, the 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 way that the researchers went about answering their questions, or or maybe even just the, the findings? Uh, something that, that you learned as as somebody who was editing uh, this really interesting research.
0: I'm not sure that there was anything that was a huge surprise to me. I think in some ways, um, the um, the the work that Tony nouns has done in this area is always a little bit interesting to me, partly because he comes at this perspective from a interest group perspective and then heavily based in sort of theoretical perspectives about interest groups, interest groups on um, birth, interest group survival and interest group death. Um, relying on a pretty sophisticated um, theoretical perspective on that. That's always been a little bit of, of an, of an interest to me. And, and, um, and actually, uh, it's sort of a unique perspective because the way he's done it really hasn't been done in in many other, um, for many other types of interest groups out there, even though the theory itself, as I say, is pretty well well developed.
1: Yeah, it's um, Tony's work is great, and so many of the pieces in here are just so interesting, almost can st- could stand alone and, and be developed into full books. The book, again, is Transgender Rights and Politics, Groups, Issue Framing and Policy Adoption, edited by Jamie Taylor and and Don who was with us today Don thank you very much for your time today Sure thing thank you